Welcome back to the Customers Who Click podcast. We've got a super fascinating topic today as we take a peek into the world of behavioral economics. And to do this, I've got Ben Sterling with me. Ben's a managing director of Web Loyalty, a com- company which specializes in helping e-commerce brands encourage loyal behavior in their customers and, of course, generate more revenue. Today, Ben's going to take us through what behavioral economics is and the biases that we as marketers can use to improve conversion and retention rates. Let's hear from him now. Hi, Ben. How are you? Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, uh, a bit of your background and, and why you do what you do? Yeah. Hi, Will. Um, so obviously, my name is Ben Sterling. I'm the Managing Director for Web Loyalty. Uh, prior to Web Loyalty, I've worked in um, e-commerce for over 10 years. So I started in digital agencies and I primarily focused on search marketing. So I was pretty early into SEO, PPC and social media marketing. Um, and from working in agencies, I then transitioned into Expedia. So still focusing uh, heavily on the e-commerce side, but actually focusing on their B2B partnerships. So the distribution of their content um, into other travel providers so they could, uh, if, you, if you like, generate more revenues through their own proprietary booking systems. So kind of moved from that e-commerce marketing into kind of monetization quite early. And I was at Expedia for around five years. and then. Um, move to um, web loyalty so at web loyalty we have a kind of mix of travel and retail brands primarily and our focus is is on the monetization and increasing the value uh, of consumer interactions so it's kind of stemmed from a performance marketing background into a real focus down on monetization and loyalty which is where i sit today can you just tell us uh, maybe a little bit more about web loyalty and and what a day look, looks like for you there yeah, absolutely. So uh, Web Loyalty, we provide a spectrum of revenue enhancement solutions and we do it for e-commerce brands. So obviously we work with some brands that are primarily just online and some who are retail businesses, but also have a strong online presence. And probably the biggest thing we help them with is mitigating that cost of acquisition that consistently keeps rising against them and uh, making it difficult to find profitability from that first transaction. Um, our most popular product at Web Loyalty um, really is this um, acquisition tool. So we made a decision as a business many, many moons ago not to acquire our customers from Google because um, obviously we didn't like the fact that they control the playing field that we're on and can tilt it one degree to the left one day, two degrees to the right the next day, and there's not much you can do about it. So we actually acquire customers for a lot of our cashback programs that we have via B2B channels, so via the confirmation page of partners that we work with. And we offer then the consumer an ability to earn um, cashback on that very merchant that they just purchased with um, on an ongoing basis. So it's a really uh, timely value proposition for a consumer. You know, they've just made a purchase and then we offer bring them a a really strong incentive to join the program to get money off their future purchases with that uh, very brand amongst about 1,600 other brands that we have in the program. So um, it's a very exciting place to be because obviously we're helping a lot of brands uh, create profitability, but we're also doing a lot of really clever stuff to then establish how do we use um, behavioral economics and other nudges to create what we term as more law behavior. So driving those consumers back to that referring brand once they're a member of a program by using a variety of different incentives. Okay, yeah, interesting. So you offer the cash back on the, uh, on the products or the website that they've just bought and actually that's your acquisition fee and kind of doesn't cost that retailer anything to actually give that discount. 
Yeah, so so absolutely. So we're providing, if you like, the referral fee to the CPA for them to refer the consumer into our program. So like you say, they've generated then some revenue from that that behavior happening. Uh, the consumer wins because then the consumer is provided a reward that we would fund that again equates up to our, our acquisition cost. So we typically provide anything between like £16.87 to their next purchase with that consumer. Um, and then once they're a member of the program, they'll always be getting kind of 10% back off that referring retailer. So if you are a regular uh, you know, shopper at somewhere like Argos, then if you join the program, you're obviously going to get that consistent benefit over and over. And that's it's quite a powerful combination because what we're able then to do is to help drive frequency um, and increase the average order values. Because typically what we see is when someone gets a discount for a product, they're likely to spend more. Um, and then if we do that with more timely seasonal campaigns, we're able to increase the frequency as well. So it's, it has a real benefit for them, not only when they refer consumers into the program, but then through all the mechanisms and more behaviors that we create in the background to drive them back more frequently and at a higher value. Okay, yes, it works. Sounds great, doesn't it? Um, so you mentioned behavioral economics, which is kind of what we're here to talk about today. Um, yeah. Wanna, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. You know, what is it? Why should uh, businesses and marketers take note of it? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I should start by clarifying that I am not the scientist behind the research, um, but obviously we invest a great deal in this area. Given like my earlier point, we we want to understand consumer behaviour at the highest level in order to make sure that we continue to create incentives that have a great appeal, um, and so. You know, we we as a business work with I guess you know, circa ten thousand online companies. When you add in all the uh, companies within our cashback programs, so really we you know invested in this report with London Economics to establish what are the kind of really common conversion and retention biases that, that we see. And the report was really really fascinating, and it's the science behind, if you like, consumer behaviour. So. You know, behavioral economics really uses psychological experimentation to just develop theories about human decision making. And behavioral economics as an industry is trying to change the way economists really think about people's perception and what they deem to be valuable. And what we noticed is that there's quite a lot of work done in retail or in, if you like, offline or in-store, but there was very little done on e-commerce. Certainly not very much done in a comprehensive format in one place. So we, we thought the report would add a lot of value, not just for our business, but for, for others as well. So we created this report that, that we, have, like I say, done in conjunction with London Economics. And it really looks at uh, the widely adopted traits um, within e-commerce. And we've got an example uh, that we can go through of some of the if you like, six most commonly used uh, traits for conversion and then the six most commonly used for retention. Um, and I can give you a really quick example. Like there's some fascinating studies that have done. There's over 200 biases if you actually Google them and look at Wikipedia. But one quick example would be what they term as nine enders. So a lot of evidence shows that when a consumer is aged like 29 
39 or 49, that they tend to make more ambitious and extreme decisions, like running a marathon or maybe buying a Harley Davidson. Um, and the reason why is because obviously these round numbers are more salient in society. So there's like an urge to achieve goals before they reach a certain milestone. So when you take that as an example, it's not difficult to see how this kind of behavior um, can immediately be applied to online and retail. Um, and increasing the chance for you to convert new customers you know, before they reach these certain milestones. So as you build a profile and you know, personalization is a very hot topic at the moment, and you can see when you understand behavioral economics why personalization can be so impactful, because then you start to apply these nudges and nuances, you can start to create really valuable behavior, not only for your business, but also then for the consumer themselves. Yeah, so I suppose... Um I mean, it's a really good example there, the nine enders. I can't remember exactly what, what I did, but I, when I was 29 turning 30, there was probably a few things that I went, right, I've got to get this out of the way. I've got to get this done. Getting old now. <laughs> and yeah. turning 30. But um, yeah. so I suppose that would be really, really good opportunity for, you know, like travel brands in particular to kind of push those, maybe those longer trips and say, well, you know, it's kind of almost like it's now or never. You know, you're turning 30, getting obviously you wouldn't use this in the in the messaging, but kind of pushing that, you know, getting on a bit, you know, why don't you do this six week trip? You know, take a break from work, go do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll admit something that now seems embarrassing, but but like you, when I hit a certain number, I bought a Mustang. Um, pretty cliche, but that was, <laughs> that was that was a, a dream of mine, and I and I hit forty, and I thought I'm, I'm having it now. So uh, I can I can validate the <laughs> the theory personally, um, but yeah, and it's interesting. So we we took these nudges and actually and these theories, and um, we looked at the we added to the report by taking the top fifty UK online retailers. Um, that incorporates, to your example, travel businesses and retailers to see what they adopted to or adopted to to encourage conversion and retention. Um, and some of the interesting kind of additions or combining elements for things like the nudge theory. So together with testing, you know, the London Economics was able to say there's a there's some really interesting what they term as nudges, these small changes that happen on a frequent basis within these categories that really lead to this type of really desirable behavior. So I can give you an example, actually, of some of the um, conversion biases that, that we look at in the report. Um, if that's interesting, I can talk through some of those now. Oh, absolutely. I think without stating the obvious, I think there's, we're all aware of some of the challenges uh, in, in e-commerce. And a lot of that goes to probably what I mentioned at the beginning. You know, I think it, it's so expensive. You know, acquisition costs, I think, are five times more than typically even retention costs for consumers. That as they can, can like consistently go up, that's almost your one guarantee. You do have to find new ways of doing things to either get more of the traffic you pay for to convert or more of the traffic that converts to then stay. So, I'll give you, I'll, I'll walk through some of those conversion biases. So one of the first ones is loss aversion. Um, and, and loss aversion 
it's really kind of endorsing gains and, and minimizing the sense of loss for a consumer. We all know what I think, you know, is it fear of missing out FOMO and things like that. We're all aware of that as a concept, but there's some clever ways that it starts to feed its way into e-commerce. One of those is even things like offering someone a free trial. So Netflix offers a one month free subscription. And really what this does is helps the consumer see what they will lose if they then go and cancel. Equally, you could use this the other way around and say, if you don't act now, then this deal won't be available to you in the future. So organizations can use like trials or promotions or messaging around how if someone acts now, then they're going to be able to get this, this either this great offer or they're going to be able to get this product and they're not going to miss out. So loss aversion is the first one. Um, and like I say, it's quite common, uh, commonly used with things like subscriptions. Yeah, I've definitely, one I've definitely seen that a lot. Um, although what, what's, what gets a bit annoying is when you see it used when something is clearly not actually limited. Um, it yes. comes up a lot <laughs> in uh, information, but information products. You know, people yeah. will say uh, this PDF available for a limited time only or something. And you're kind of like, you're, you're just saying that to to try and nudge me over the line, but really yeah. <laughs> absolutely no reason why that's limited. Yeah, and, and this is where you'll notice there's a real commonality between th these um, biases are so interlinked, it's quite incredible. But when we like when we get on to retention biases, um, retention, there's there's something called social proofing, which in its most obvious term is where uh, consumers might use something like reviews or Trustpilot. You know, social media is the absolute epitome at the moment of social proving about buying a product that someone else has validated or worn and therefore you want it. Um, but Curry's, for example, uses what you're describing. You know, they use a multitude of things like eight of these souls, you know, 628 watches available, um, you know, three left and 100% buyer satisfaction. So, you know, these even conversion and retention biases start to blend together. But yeah, travel and Priceline, booking.com, you know, they love to use these kind of uh, nudges that push you towards making a decision. They've, um, um, they got into a bit of trouble recently, didn't they? They um, not being <laughs> entirely transparent with what they meant by, oh, and the airlines use it as well, but things like um, only one seat available at this price. Yes. And well, actually, you know, there might be another 50 seats available, but each one's priced an extra penny higher as you yes. go. So they're, they're kind of able to say one available at this price, but actually there's, there's no real difference. And, um, power of margin management <laughs> and, and the other what's the other one it's uh you know x number of like 12 people are looking at this room as well yes um but it's actually they could be looking at any date yeah absolutely and and you know how it affects you though even if you know it's not true if you're booking a hotel and they say one room left and there's 15 people looking at it it has a natural effect on your behavior to not want to lose it yeah. if this is the room i want then i want it now um and, and, you know, we could add to that probably the good example you gave us, the hotel, right? If when you add a couple of other conversion biases in there, like um, being able to, you know, um, 
create a really simple conversion funnel, which is something that like the likes of booking.com do very well and make it very easier. They use a, they use a, what we term as present bias, which is present bias and conversion is providing immediate gains to satisfy customer needs. Klarna is exactly the epitome of this. Shop now, pay later. It's exactly the same model that booking.com uses. It's like, you know, oh, we're going we're gonna to use loss aversion on you at the beginning of the funnel. And then as you get to the end, we're going to provide present bias, which is like act now, you know, deal with it, pay later. And that's the same principle they have. So by applying multiple, you know, biases in the conversion funnel, they're able to, you know, admit, you know what tends to happen, I find is that they're so good at it, you, you people book three hotels and then they cancel one closer to the day. Um, yeah, so, yeah, actually, I hadn't really thought of that, but you're right. It's, it's you know, buy this room now or book this room now, otherwise you're going to miss out. And then once yeah. you go to the next step, it's, oh, yeah, but don't worry about paying it, you know, free cancellation Absolutely. until the day. Yeah. And so that's just that's just two of the if you in the report, that's just two of those. That's loss aversion and present bias that they've just used incredibly effectively in their conversion funnel in order to make people buy, make a decision. And to the point where they make it so easy, people tend to book two or three hotels. So, um, yeah, super powerful when you interthread these things together and often they're all just a play on our natural human desires. And that's why they have such a powerful impact on us, because people are essentially just playing on what, what they know we're naturally drawn to do. Um, the, another one would be Von Restoff effect. So, super interesting. Um, this is where you create memorable products by making them stand out for the rest. So I think you probably experienced this. It's like if you sign for anything like a subscription, you tend to see this. So MailChimp offers you know, different subscription products. But what they do is they highlight the best value option for you. So they call it the von Ress effect. Um, and he was a, I think he was a German psychologist, but it was, it was basically saying when you highlight some, the best option for someone, they are more inclined to take your recommendation because it removes their indecision. So you've got, a, and, and what they do are clever things around pricing examples. So you might have those three options to you, um, the, the top option being highlighted, but you might have one at 30 pounds, one at 35, and then one at 39. So the increment between the other two is even at five, but then the increment to the biggest, best option is only four. So that also then adds to the impression that the bigger offer is the better deal. So it really helps someone make a decision. Yes, um, okay. you- it, don't, um, a lot of newspapers use that, don't they? Um, you know, you can have the print, uh, you know, the print subscription for £99 a year or whatever it is, mm. the digital subscription for £99 a year, or you can have the digital and print for 129 so yeah, you immediately absolutely. think, I'm going to get, you know, I'm getting, you're kind of thinking I'm getting double the value, um, but <laughs> right. for only a little bit of the cost. But, you know, it's not, not quite like that. But you are still getting flexibility, which helps, doesn't it? Some days, you know, on the weekends, you might want the physical paper. And on the weekdays, you might want it on your iPad and you, you know, read yes. it on the way into work. Absolutely. And that, that goes back to probably our early point around the convenience. There, there's a there's a, an associated gain in doing that. And if the if the incremental cost is relatively small in comparison, it's easy to outweigh that that decision of taking the ultimate product that they really want you to have. Um, and then I can a couple of others would be um, priming and anchoring, which is quite interesting. So uh, priming and anchoring is where we. You, 
inf- certain pieces of information are used to make a key point stand out more. So, for example, a really basic example might be displaying slash prices online to show a discount. So seasonal sales. So you're you're luring someone towards an area. So like when you land on a site, you might see you know click here for all our current fifty percent off discount. So you're priming someone immediately to go down a particular funnel and then there's an expectation of what they're going to get from that. Um, it can actually have a negative effect as well, which is quite interesting. If you think about what coupon boxes do for your buying psychology, when you, so if you don't perhaps land on a site where they they primed you to go towards a, a, a kind of sale or slash price items and you go and you purchase something and then you get to the checkout, particularly if the cost increases this, I think this, in, this actual uh, behavior increases, which is you see the coupon box, and then you go, oh, hold on a minute. I, I don't have a coupon. And then you abandon the cart to go and find one. <laughs> so yeah. priming and anchoring can do good and bad. You have to use wisely. Yeah, and then you, then it's a case of um, not only are you going to, uh, well, all right, potentially you've got the drop off and they might not come back. But, you know, best case with that scenario is they find a coupon, they get £10 off or 15% off with you, but then you also pay that commission because there's the affiliate yes. commission. Um, I know a lot of people who, uh, and I, I think I'm, I'm in favor of this as well. If you have a live coupon code that is you know, basically available to anyone anyway, just automatically apply it. Um, yeah. you know, arguably you, you're kind of giving away money that you didn't have to, but, uh, you, you kind of, well, you avoid the commission, which is a little bit of money, but, um, also I think it just builds a bit of. Uh, you know, good feeling and loyalty with a customer. If you've said to them, "Oh, don't worry, we've applied that for you." I, I, absolutely, and and just to, I guess, if you think about so reciprocity, you know that that's one of the retention biases. That that is, you know, giving, like you say, giving someone something, um, and then there's this sense of kind of paying back almost. It's almost like I don't want to call it purchasing loyalty but it it is you know you give someone something they're more inclined to do something back and to your absolute point you know to give that away arguably costs little but what does that do for the consumer they feel immediately like you've invested in them when you didn't probably have to and that surprise element of it you know makes you feel like actually i buy from them next time you know that they they looked out for me yeah i mean i think uh, i think it's pizza who are quite up i think it's pizza Better be. Um, they're quite upfront with that. I think they they have a, a function on their website where it, they they're very clear that they will apply a deal if one is relevant to your uh, to your basket. Yeah. So I don't know if you if you add uh, two medium pizzas, a side, and a bottle of drink to your basket. If that happens to be one of their deals, it will simply just give you the discount for it. Absolutely. Um, and I think they even, I think they have a robot for it on their site. And I think, you know, it's, it's like really, really, I think it's the deal robot. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. yeah I'm a, I'm a Domino's fan. I know Domino's do something similar. Um, um, where, like you said, they'll automatically, I don't know if they have a, uh, I don't think they have the robot. That sounds very cool. But they, they, they just apply, like you said, they will say, if you've ordered two things that are applicable for a deal, I believe they will auto apply it. But I know, yeah. like, you know, I'm so trained as a consumer to go straight for their deals anyway. I've yeah, never I th- done it without. I think they are in a in a sector where discounts are almost expected. You know, yes. I, I think, well, I don't know. I, I would guess that a huge percentage of their sales are either a deal, uh, you know, one of their meal deals or 
a an external coupon code has been applied. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's such an interesting point because, you know, I, I honestly believe that what you know what makes consumers are so we're all so trained um, to have an expectation to get something in return for our purchase nowadays. It's almost like if you don't. You, you something feels wrong about the the purchase you know if you haven't got a deal or you haven't got something for it like free delivery or something you almost scratch your head and go it feels like i booked it and it was right but i something doesn't sit with me um, and and amazing when people book holidays the immediate justification they give you for oh we got an amazing deal it's before they tell you where they're going or before they tell you they tell you what deal they got on it and so it's it's become such an integral part, hasn't it, of making a transaction to almost ensure we receive something back for making a purchase or a decision with a brand. Yeah, I mean, uh, on the, the free shipping point, there have definitely been sites where I've I've got all the way through to the checkout and been shown, you know, four pound ninety nine delivery fee or something, and I've gone back into the website to look for their uh, free shipping threshold. Yeah, sometimes it's not there. And you think, oh, actually, have I got to pay four ninety nine for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're right. Simple change, right? A spend stretch uh, to to mitigate the cost of of shipping, and and probably you would put another t shirt in or put something else in just to reach it. Um, well, I think because you're immediately doing the maths, aren't you, in your head? It's like how much more to buy the t shirt and then to get shipping. So actually, I only paid less for the t shirt. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the number on this now, but I did some research a few weeks ago, and there is a um, an additional increase in average basket value over the threshold. So, you, you know, if, if your average order value is £100 and you set your threshold at 120 your average order value tenth that, that gets free shipping tends to be more like 130 135 or yeah, even higher. You know, people, people don't just try and meet that minimum requirement to get it. They're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just buy another pair of jeans or... You know, they're willing to spend maybe fifty pounds to get that free shipping, even though it saves them four. A, a smaller, yeah, relative amount. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. people view it as a bit of a waste. You know, if I, if I can get free shipping and there's something that I want to buy, I might as well buy it. Absolutely, because I think, that, like you say, they're probably associating it to a discount of the product that they're actually purchasing in a way. But um, yeah, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, and um, then so there's some retention biases as well that um, I think are, are also, um, you know, as, as we've said, so important because um, obviously acquisition and making sure that people get the conversion seems to be at the forefront of everyone's agenda. And, and it has been, I think, for a long time. And I, and I think that we're all aware, but probably people, there's an, always that difference between awareness and taking action around what people actually do then with retention biases. And I think so much investment goes on um, acquisition um, that actually I think retention is hopefully getting an equal share of voice now because it's it's absolutely key in order to, to recoup that profitability. I know so many brands that are you know unprofitable on the first transaction with the hope that they can retain the customer. And then after second, third purchase, obviously that profitability um, is, is covering the kind of acquisition cost. Um, so yeah, there's a, yeah, a couple of those that, that um, I thought would be interesting. One of those was, um, I thought I'd talk about the hot topic, personalization. But 
the big one but no. but um but, but it is you know engaging the consumer by using um personalized touches and it doesn't have to be this big you know in my mind it doesn't have to be this big machine learning algorithm behind the back you know it can be as simple as ebay right? ebay greets you with your name when you join hi ben when i sign into ebay so that's a very simple start to a level of personalization and i do think that consumers really want to just have recognition you know it's a i think loyalty and and, and all of these areas is made up of some very simple things which is receiving value and feeling valued and a simple way to have someone feel valued is to recognize who they are and to call them by their name just so just an interesting point on that i actually um i tell a lot of people that personalization isn't about stuff like first names anymore because it's so basic. Um, but actually mm. what I'm talking about is emails there. Um, I think yeah. in an email, there's a basic expectation that if you've got Absolutely. any sort of copy on your email, it's going to start with your name. Um, but yeah. on a website, I think it does make a massive difference when, you, when you're welcomed by your name because, because not as many companies do it. Um, no. and, and look at who does Amazon and eBay, right? It's like, you know, the big, because the minute you land there, it's like, Hey Ben. And by the way, we've just collected a load of products for you that we think you'd be interested in. Um, Netflix classic example, because you watch this, we think you'd like this. Um, and that's where it starts going deeper and deeper. And you start to learn. I think some of the interesting stuff around personalization is as people move away from, I, I think there's a couple of flaws sometimes where people, if you don't have enough products, creating personalization is very difficult <laughs> because, yeah. you know, if there's only five things. It's like, why do you get it in red as well as yellow? <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, Netflix there. What's interesting is that, yeah. so Netflix removed the reviews from uh from the service what, a couple of years ago probably and i wonder if that i've never really thought about it but actually i wonder if it's because it, it, they want to be able to recommend content to people based on what they think you would like but if they do that and you look at it and you see that it's only two star or three star you might not watch it and if you see all that you know you know, you know we all know that a lot of comedy films tend to score lower you know on imdb uh, rotten tomatoes and all that but you know even though people like them but if you went into if they if they recommended you uh, a, a film and then you you open up netflix and it's got you know three star or whatever you might go well actually i'll find something else but they're pretty Absolutely. confident you're gonna like it um so yeah i mean normally you know reviews are really you know really really important for businesses but well i suppose it is for netflix and they that's why they've made the decision to actually remove them because they're too, they make too much impact. I think that's a really, really good observation. I, I, that kind of sits in what we talked about, which is a retention bias, which is social proving, uh, proofing. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, because like you say, what they're doing is trying to get a, a unique consumer experience for you and what you're actually interested in. But if you're interested in something that everyone has panned, it, that's going to socially impact your decision to watch it because you're even though it's like going back to the schoolyard isn't it even you know if if everyone is is mocking you for doing something you're, you're not going to do that behavior anymore even if you're in sat in your living room no one can see you if everyone says this is the worst movie ever it's going to impact your your choice so i think you're you're probably right i never thought about that either but that's i'm sure that's that's what it will be because they're they're goal is to move towards a more tailored consumer experience and tailored means you know not comparing you to people that perhaps are nothing like you yeah yeah exactly definitely um 
another one I like is, is we, we touched on, <laughs> but so I won't go into that, but it was scarcity bias. That was, you know, only four items left in stock. ASOS loved that one. Um, countdown timers. Oh, those are, those are great nudges. Um, one of my favorite, and this is why I mention it, is because I loved this. Scarcity is, was really apparent given obviously the COVID situation because where people tend to have a greater lean on scarcity when it sits within those um, everyday products, like those typical normal consumer goods. And so there were some brilliant examples of scarcity bias where you went on eBay and they had a toilet roll available for 1 million USD. <laughs> and the description just said, soft and comfortable. And I was like, that's just brilliant, you know, because that epitomizes this very retention bias, which is that when those common things that we actually probably hold little value on in general terms, when they become scarce, their value increases exponentially. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, in, in that case, it's probably someone, well, it's just someone taking the piss a little bit. Yeah, of course, um, of course. But it's great for eBay. <laughs> Maybe someone it? bought it. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. maybe. be the best deal they ever did i mean i know i've seen uh, so we uh we put our school up for sale once um and i think it got bids of like fifty thousand pounds or something before ebay took it down <laughs> it's just, you know, you could, because um i don't know if it's changed i don't use ebay that much anymore but you used to be able to just put anything on there um in fact it was around the time when just ridiculous stuff was popping up pretty sure a country is a country or two have popped up on there at some point <laughs> um, and you know I, I reckon ebay leave it there long enough for it to get some attention and then take it down and say yeah it's not a genuine listing so we can't have that i'm afraid the uk is not for sale yeah. <laughs> even though that's a good price <laughs> uh, another one that i like as well and i, I like the, it's funny because you always re you always remember the ones well that you are so easily influenced by and i didn't realize this one until i thought of an app that i use a lot which is i use when when in town and, and when working not at home i um i use the nez app which is a fantastic app um which i love because it just gives me all these offers and deals for local restaurants around where i work right so it has a everyday practical use to me which is has a value but then they do gamification and rewards and um it, it's really great because you know they are not giving me often uh, an actual offer so they're not giving me you, know, you can earn up to getting like five percent ten percent or a deal off some food but ultimately what they're leaning on is this kind of goal gradient effect is the term for the for the buyers and it's bringing out a consumer's competitive streak to motivate them so point systems do this a lot with like british airways and things but nez uses it in a different way they have a whole load of points that you earn and each time you earn points for transacting at one of the local stores that they they've got an offer running with you move up to the next level and the levels are just very like childish things like hot potatoes you know sour lemon and all of this kind of stuff lean bean and stuff but in our office it became a competition and 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 exactly that's what it was a competition people were more not comparing the discount or the offer they got they were comparing the the childish bad status that we each had on the on the on the app <laughs> so so the power of kind of great you know what they term as the goal gradient effect is is i think often quite underestimated and it is bringing out that consumer's competitive streak to reach a certain level you'll know it if you travel a lot and you get people that consistently talk about what tier they're on and what the best tiers are and which airline gives them the best you know it, it's all about that it's a status thing you know yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. so it's quite an interesting one yeah everyone wants to be on that uh that one one level up 
Yes, even if it's absolutely. just one. Then, I mean, obviously, people want to get to the top, but uh, obviously, you, you have to be one level up above whoever you're talking to, basically. Yeah, absolutely, and, that, and yeah, and that's so true because you can be really proud of the status you get to until you meet someone on the next status, and then immediately you change the conversation. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't hear, I don't hear about their status anymore. <laughs> it's all they talk about. <laughs> yeah, and free upgrades. I don't care. Don't care. Didn't want them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Can't find now anyway. <laughs> um, and then a couple of others that I think are interesting on. Um, retention uh we talked about reciprocity that that was uh obviously in the earlier example and then consistency bias is quite interesting so this is consumers striving to make uh consistent behavior so you know it, it there's almost like this whole individual study on how consumers strive to make future behavior match past behavior we like to prove consistency in what we believe in in what we stand for um and everything and some brands leverage this in a certain way um, in order to build, like, if you like, a, a, a retention and an ongoing conversation with their consumers. Um, so, you know, brands should often try or should think about how they can incorporate, you know, how do we, if we're creatures of habit and we strive to be consistent, what type of behaviors and nudges and beliefs can you add into your product or your communication to provide that consistency for them so that they can feel like, you know, it, it aligns with what they do going to the gym every Friday or whatever that may be that they hold to a high value. How do you align with that? And if you can align with that consistent behavior, you're going to have a loyal customer for life. Yeah. So actually um, speaking of gyms, uh, the one I used to go to at work, they would, um, they would email me if I hadn't been in the gym for about even just three, four days. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too long, but they obviously know, they know that I went quite frequently. So I don't know if it's literally just a case that they've set it to say, email anyone who's not attended the gym for four days or whether they base it off my frequency of attendance. Um, but they obviously know I'm not someone who's going to, going to cancel because of that, uh, that reminder, you know, not someone who goes, Oh, actually, yeah, I never use the gym. I'm never in there. So I'm going to cancel it. Um, it actually nudges me to go, Oh yeah, I should probably book a class or something. Yeah, you reminded me. I'm not. I'm not doing my exercise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we all have that gym membership that we wish we used more, and that, and it, it's interesting that, like you say, you, you know, that's that's almost an alignment with a behaviour that you want, um, but that you haven't yet achieved, isn't it? And it's like, but you want to get to that point, so you keep the membership because it's consistent with where you feel you want to be or you should be. Um, I cancelled mine as soon as we hit COVID. I knew that was, if I wasn't going before, I wasn't going to be going then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, they must have struggled, I think. Although a lot of them, um, yeah. I know a lot of them online classes and things. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how many of them have kind of given discounts on memberships or whether they're kind of saying we're going to do online stuff. So we're not going to, we're not going to touch on the subject of your, your membership too much. We're just going to make sure we're providing some sort of content and value so you can exercise if you need to. Uh, some people will cancel. Some people will ask about discounts, refunds. But, you know, if they're still there, still offering something to the customer, you know, there's a, yeah. a, a good chance people won't, uh, won't cancel. And then I guess there's the whole idea of, you know, we know you're a struggling business in these times. You know, I don't mind paying 
you know, if, you, if you're giving me something to do, I don't mind paying my membership uh, to get that. And if it, you know, if it means you're still there when I, when I do come back. No, I, I agree totally. I think that interestingly plays into the reciprocity thing, doesn't it? I almost think if I was a, a personal trainer now, I would be giving all my clients, even if it was free, I, I would be putting out to them and hopefully they'd, they'd be paying for the service. But, but I would be still putting out, if I was a gym, all of the advice and tra- things that exercising people can do at home because that would be the reciprocity thing. It's like I, I am there for you even if you can't use my service, even if you pause your membership because we've offered that as a solution to this current situation. If I am with you and I'm providing you value through a time when it's only going to be perceived as a reward or as, as, a, as, a, as an addition um, and not a chargeable uh, service, then I think that's great example of reciprocity because then you're going to go straight back to your trainer afterwards and be like i really appreciated all the videos you gave me you know let, let's let's get back in when, when when i'm allowed back out again i think you know you can really play on those types of um, retention biases just by like you say adding value first yeah absolutely Are there any other retention on the retention side um no i think we've um i think we've we've gone through all of them actually um, yeah, there was kind of six core ones, mainly personalization, social proofing, scarcity, uh, goal gradient effect, um, reciprocity, and then consistency. So people being yeah. consistent with behavior. Okay, great. So we've had a bunch of great examples on, on how businesses are doing it or should do it. Um, but are there any big or common mistakes you see when people are actually, uh, when companies are attempting to use these sort of tactics? So I don't think any online retailer, certainly when we did our evaluation of the top 50, no no one retailer fully adopts behavioral um, informed techniques. And I think that, you know, there's that what that means is there's plenty of uh, opportunity um, for people to do it better. I think, you know, approach, I think taking an approach of, how does this sit for my industry and how does this sit for my type of consumer and how does this sit with my type of product is the key thing. It doesn't mean everyone should do all, but there's such a neat, like we touched on with the Priceline or Booking.com, there's such a neat tie-in for some of these biases that if you can just find out and test and learn what are those that work really well for your type of product that make a significant then uptick on your ability to convert and retain i think that's the way to do it i think um mistakes would probably be just like some of the examples that you highlighted and that would that would ultimately be brands that overutilize in a what i might term as clumsy effort some of these biases where they put massive great signs up saying two left four left five left depending on if you refresh the page that's 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 doing nothing for your credibility and i think that's probably some of the mistakes or where people are just really sledged you know club hammer with this stuff <laughs> need to add a little bit of grace yeah so when people are just being a bit obvious with what they're doing rather than just trying to build it in well like you said earlier it's like a nudge you know it should, yes, it should, always it should be, be a, a very nudge. subtle nudge um rather than yeah massive banner one left um absolutely and it even looks like a static banner so (laughs) you know it's probably not not genuine and if you think about exactly that example the same situation but if you're selling a t-shirt and you've spent a bit of time on the page or it's your second visit there and they go oh will's back again he likes this t-shirt you know sending you 15 messages saying 20 people are looking at it now it you know it might have an effect 
but maybe just sending one message that says, you know, even better, add personalization with this as well. It's like, well, we can see you like the T-shirt. We've only got three left in stock. So, you know, we want you to have it type thing. A more personalized approach to the same type of message is probably going to have a significantly greater impact um, than just hammering a message at someone like a bit of a scattergun approach. Yeah, so it's all about you know com- combining these uh, these behaviours with with the data that you've got to nudge yeah. people in a relevant manner to them. Absolutely, that might be then they might be going, oh, Will's back again. He he needs to view this at least five times before he purchases. So we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave him this time. This personalisation, isn't it? It's like we'll wait till he's back the next time before we uh, we we give these messages. Yeah, well, I mean it, it works, doesn't it? You know, just because I yeah check out a website every day. <laughs> or every few days doesn't mean um, I want to purchase. It just means, yeah. you know, it's kind of on my mind. But, um, you know, it might be, you know, you could be clever about it and say, well, he's, he views it every month. He comes on this website four times throughout the month and it's always exactly. the one at payday when he makes the purchase. So yeah. let's not bother emailing him throughout the throughout the month or, or, you know, give him some, some valuable content or whatever, but give him a little nudge, you know, on payday or the day before just to say, you know, got, <laughs> we've only got one left. We're holding one for you or click, or, you know, exactly. click, click here to hold it. Uh, for what, what an hours. amazing message though, if they did, right. If, if you were able to receive messages that we only have one left and we've held it for you. I mean, you know, I'm, operationally it's got to be achievable but that is a message if someone has saved something put it in their basket or something like that it has a significant i, I think that starts to touch on a lot more personal uh you know personalization than, than a lot of other tactics but yeah, yeah we we see six times six times someone needs to see the banner uh to at least have you know the, the ability to click through so what does that mean in the how does that change what you serve the first six time versus to what you serve on the sixth it's like fairly straightforward but actually you can subtly change then the behavior because if to your point if i if it's coming to the end of the month and i want you to buy the t-shirt then maybe when it gets and you've only been five times then maybe i do want to send you an email or a nudge to get you back on the site just to reach that kind of pre um, six time to get you to do the conversion. So it's all it all interlinks so so tightly. Um, yeah. It becomes this kind of woven experience. I, I guess the the wrong way of doing that is we need someone to see this banner or this advert six seven times. So let's follow them around the web and fill every sort of <laughs> yeah. every banner ad opportunity with our message. Because yes. you know within twenty minutes they'll be back going yeah actually do you know what I do want to make that purchase. Uh, particularly like those when i've already bought it as well (laughs) oh amazon i I think i was i telling you you this the other day um by my keyboard i bought this bluetooth keyboard and then uh twice since i've purchased the keyboard they've recommended me a keyboard (laughs) (laughs) that's from them as well i'm sure (laughs) yeah I, i don't i don't really understand it um you know the the purchase is on my account it's done i don't need yeah. i don't need more bluetooth keyboards yeah because you bought this we're recommending four other ones for you no no i just needed the one <laughs> yeah hopefully it'll last a while yeah 
Absolutely. Um, so what, what do you think will be the, the big trends in behavioral economics and uh, particularly with e-commerce, obviously, uh, over the next kind of 12, 18 months? Well, I suppose actually, just uh, to add to that question, uh, given the pandemic we've had, which has obviously mm. massively changed uh, uh, a lot of shopping behavior, um, yeah, how, how do you think that will impact things as well? Yeah, so I think some of the interesting stats that we've been looking at are that, you know, we work with some uh, major supermarkets. Um, and so obviously you can see the, the growth that they've had through um, this current period. Um, and I actually, I, I actually hope that that, you know, for, for, from a perspective of a consumer perspective, that that stays because I think what we've seen is a large amount of people have had to adopt online. That, that stems from banking to purchasing groceries. And I think that that will have a knock-on effect. I think that those consumers then will now be more familiar and consistently purchase online. I think as humans, we are natural creatures of habit. And, you know, I think the technology has been way further ahead than our actual um, physical adoption of it. And so what I, what I expect to see and would like to see is that actually as this now you know, comes through the other side. And as we are then removing the restrictions about what we're able to do physically, we still actually maintain some of these behaviors that have become more efficient, have allowed businesses to perhaps meet your needs in different ways and have actually become more efficient. Um, certainly online shopping, uh, one of the quick examples I would say that I've seen that I love is that we've had B2B food providers in our local area that have then turned their hand to being able to deliver locally fresh meat produce that they would normally provide restaurants and we've been able to get that from them and the quality is fantastic considerably better than what i get at the supermarket so will i continue to purchase from them absolutely and so those behaviors i think will be i'd like to see more of you know it's almost incorporating in that example the return of the old high street you know the butcher the baker i'd yeah. like to see more of those businesses that have been able to reach more consumers continue to do so and there's a number of brands that do that local produce at scale, and I hope that they consistently cons will see that that growth out the back as well. Yeah, um, I mean, it'd be interesting on those because obviously, once things go back to normal uh, and their B two B side opens up again, will they be able to cater for the B two C side? Absolutely. Well, you know, and hopefully they'll stick with it. And you know, some of them may view it as a, an opportunity to say, right, we'll, we'll focus on the B two B as our core because they're you know, reliable bulk purchases. But anytime we've got, you know, spare produce or whatever, um, let's promote it out to the B2C base and we'll and get rid of it there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, it's pretty, in today's world, it's pretty easy to, to you know, expand your business and certainly digitize it. Um, you know, take, for example, this the delivery of this business. Well, you could immediately outsource that, right? If, you, if you've got a proximity to a city, even easier, right? You can just do a partnership with Deliveroo or with Just Eat or someone like that in order to then provide distribution, which is probably the thing that they, they don't have the resource for. Um, so I think that those partnerships have been fantastic to see and see more of those would be, um, would enable these businesses to continue to do and reach the audience and serve the audience that they've already now found. Um, but yeah, I think when we did our uh, research, we certainly found that, like I say, the majority of the top 50 UK is just use a mix of different strategies. And I think um, small nudges and we'd, you know, I think testing more of those and, and seeing more of these natural human behaviors um, 
as part of the e-commerce channel is definitely going to be the big trend and and convenience is key you know like you you only have to look at fintechs and you know uh, offers we do a lot with offers and having offers easily accessible card linking offers so you can just go into stores um i think you know more and more that trend of consumers expecting something in return doesn't have to mean that the merchant provides the discount you know there's a multitude of ways of creating incentives like we've talked about through goal gradients and and motivating people to competitiveness that can enable you to still communicate with your consumer um, even if they're not purchasing and buying your product and i think that's a wonderful thing that i'd like to see more brands do you know um, banks for example only communicate typically about bank banking right so you know interest rate changes or you know, statement updates or changes to your policy, privacy policy. And it's like, that's not a, that's not a relationship. That's just a cert, they're serving, you know, the basic needs of what you're getting the product, which is the banking. And I think it, when they can start to incorporate um, more incentives, more things that allow them to create uh, consistent communication with a customer. Um, so let's just use the example, like of, of uh, providing offers or incentives or a award program, that type of, um, ability allows them to stay with the consumer the 99% of the time that they're transacting on other things, not just talking or thinking about banking. And that means they can have a conversation. They can have more personalization. They can do more social proofing. They can add in all of these different elements because they can just increase their ability to communicate. And that means that then when they're, if they're associating themselves to those types of rewards and benefits, they're building their own brand, um, you know the, the the kind of reciprocity in their own brand association with that consumer even if it's not directly their own product so i do think there's a real opportunity for brands to do more with different brands with different uh like loyalty and engagement programs to essentially get a better conversation going and to to, to have a more consistent um conversation with those consumers yeah absolutely yeah definitely um i'm a big a big fan of uh, kind of changing how we do loyalty schemes because generally people view a loyalty scheme as uh, like spend a pound, get a point. Yes. And then once you get a certain number of points, you get a discount. And it's not only is it boring and unengaging for the consumer, but at the points level we're talking to get the discount, you're basically just giving a someone who purchases anyway a discount. Yes. And that's not really... Uh, yeah, there's a term, isn't there? Surprise and delight, which I think is a great term for yeah. for, for loyalty. It's like, you know, if you're, uh, like Vodafone's very meager. If you've got a program and, you know, obviously they had to adapt the program with travel um, and some of the offers that were to do with entertainment theatre, but then putting in offers like around, you know, we want to, you know, we want to treat you to something that you are accessible to. And, you know, I, I always like the example, which obviously at the moment, sadly, you can't get, but it's like, you know things like providing a free sausage roll at Greg's or a free coffee it's like providing you with a reward that actually has a high perceived value to you and it isn't then it becomes less a pound for a pound it's like if the coffee is sent to me when I'm walking past a Starbucks or I'm walking past Costa and it's timely and it's relevant because they know I purchased from there anyway then that has a hugely high perceived value for me um and it doesn't matter if it costs a pound or if it costs you know, the five pounds, it's the, it's the relevance it has to me and the perceived value I put on it 
that means I go, wow, I love being a part of this program. It's fantastic. You know exactly what I want when I want it. And it's small stuff, but it's, it means something. Yeah, but on the surprise and light, delight, it, it doesn't actually have to be something of, of value either, I don't think. Um, when I was at Readly, we used to send out post, handwritten postcards to subscribers um, uh, in, the, in their first paid month. And actually we found, I mean, the, the increase in engagement was really, really surprising. Um, you know, we, we thought people would just, you know, appreciate the gesture um, yeah. and that it might, you know, we, we might be able to detect a long-term impact on it or on, on retention or something. But no, the, the number of magazines they read within the app would double. They would use an extra device, you know, act, activate their account on an extra device. And, uh, and the churn in that first month dropped, like dropped quite noticeably. Um, as a, and this was opposed as opposed to doing it before they paid, which had almost no impact. So it was on the, on the people who made their first purchase. Um, yeah, literally just a handwritten postcard which said, "Thanks for you know, thanks for subscribing. If you've got any questions, just get in touch." And just something like that has such a big impact on people because yeah, it's that surprise and delight thing. It just makes yeah, you know, gives people a little positive feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love things like you say that you can add value without having it come at a cost you know slightly different example but i i just saw on tv the other day i loved the idea that l'oreal has given uh, they've created i think their app now where where you can look into your phone obviously in the app and then it it puts the makeup on you and i just think what an, it's again it's a great way of building um, an engagement with a consumer it doesn't cost them anything in the sense of they're not having to give anything away but they're just building a closer engagement with the customer and i'm sure over as that evolves over time they can add some fun gamification factors and, and personalization to it that takes that type of thing to a whole nother level and like you know you said it, it hasn't cost them uh, a, a product or they haven't given anything away but yet it's actually achieving considerable amounts for the consumer yeah, I mean, I imagine it cost them quite a bit to build, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah sure. it hasn't. It, it's uh, you know a, a big purchase and expense and some ongoing maintenance, but the extra value from that is going to be huge. Um, yes. You know, you haven't spent it on just acquiring a limited number of people or something. Um, yeah, exactly. I actually came across a jewelry site a couple of weeks ago where uh, I think it was just on the watch pages. Um, they actually had an arm on the screen with the watch on it and you could pick the skin tone. Oh, wow. Um, which I thought was really, really cool. So you could actually kind of get a rough idea of what this watch would look like on your arm. Yeah. Which I, I think like is that. fantastic because, you know, you might go, I really like watches that have a brown leather strap. And then you kind of look at the image of it and you go, actually, maybe the black leather one looks better. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe you go in store to actually try it on and stuff. But, you know, it just... It's that little bit of extra engagement, that little extra touch point um, that, well, I, I've never seen that before on a, on a jewellery site anyway. Not that I visit many no. jewellery sites, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, you're right. what, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing, either as a marketer or consumer? Um, yeah, well, I, I, sp <laughs> I spend a fair amount of time, you know, I love being on... Um, uh, LinkedIn. So um, I guess one of the things I, I I see a lot of now, and you touched on it earlier, right? Which is 
people just you know without building any sense of value or building any form of relationship just hit you straight out with big sales messages you know and pdfs attached and and this massive sales pitch within their first ever contact with you you would never do that in 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 like real life it's in face-to-face communication so i don't know you know for me it's like why would you think that that would work for you on email because if i don't know who you are you've not added any previous conversation with me we've not added any you know you've not provided any value at this point it's like then so there's no you know reciprocity so it's like so why do people think that that's a good idea and i think it's it's a it's a shame because i think with some small adjustments there's some very powerful messaging that i see comes out on linkedin messaging um where people have some really valuable products tools technologies but perhaps just the way they approach the conversations is is that kind of you know scattergun approach again as opposed to being a little bit more thoughtful and tactical um i actually had someone send me an email the day which really made me laugh this was a great sales approach she sent me an email that said you know it had the brackets and it said name and then, and it just said name and then it went into the cell and then she went only joking so it's like like she's yeah. sending me an automated email but she hadn't even bothered to put my name in the name section um and she and so i thought what a great intro because it made me read it but you know that's that's because i'm so used to getting those types of emails did i actually think oh here's another one um, but yeah i think that that's one of them i think people just uh, taking a little bit more of a, a human approach and you know don't send so many just target the people that are super relevant and then send them something that's personal and engage a little bit before you do it as well because it'll go a long way yeah definitely a similar thing came up in one of the previous episodes actually um uh, bumping cold emails so rep- resp- like you know doing a follow-up email which literally just says something like oh just bumping this to see if you to, to make sure you see it or just in case you didn't see this yeah and you're like oh i've had a few of those recently. if i if i ignored the first email why why would you bumping <laughs> it make, make a difference that's yeah you're you're right i i had but i was mine was t- i had one this week but it was turned i'm just bubbling this up to the top of your inbox and i was like okay i didn't see the first one now i'm seeing this bubble i'm definitely blocking it like, yeah <laughs> thank you for alerting my filter so yeah it's almost like uh the assumption is that everyone responds to every email so you must yeah. have just missed it yeah because i'm sure you were going to respond right? <laughs> yeah with my pdfs and five powerpoints and uh, <laughs> 25 make worth of uh, email yeah um so finally if you is there a marketing channel or tactic that you would see gone that you'd like to kill off and never see again <sighs> you know i I, I, in a way, I appreciate all marketing channels because look, they only exist because they work in some capacity or some degree. Um, the ones that probably I find um, that do do get me a bit um, because they're kind of annoyingly good is is like clickbait articles, right? Where you see content that is really specifically around click here to find out what happens and. And you, I don't do it, but in my brain, I'm going, I would like to know what happens in that. <laughs> so, yeah. so, because those just really annoy me because you know that whatever you, you click on, it is nothing to do with the image that they're showing. It's not going to tell you the answer to what you want to know. Yeah. And yet so many consumers do it, but that's how some sites drive huge volumes. You think this is going to be such a disappointment when I click through, but I really, really <laughs> want to see just in case. Exactly. Exactly. You know. um, I think I, 
I haven't noticed it so much um, as opposed to how many, however many years ago when clickbait just exploded. But um, the one area where I think it is still really, really bad is sports, sports journalism. Um, there's always, you know, this team makes shock decision on this signing. And it's something, it's something ridiculous, like, you know, they've offered their own, own player a, con- a new contract. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's not a shock. Said, <laughs> yeah. or, or actually, it'll be, you know, player makes shock, uh, shock transfer decision. Uh, stuns own club or something and you're thinking alright he's decided to leave hasn't he and yet he's signed, yeah. a, signed a new contract and you're like alright oh, great okay thanks for that you're like, I, felt, I felt for it again <laughs> and then uh, you know, cl- and clubs clubs being linked especially Man United and as a Man United fan this annoys me a lot getting linked with every single player in the world every transfer window <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely but you're right it, it is you know, it, especially when it hits a topic of interest you, you have a high level of interest in, it's like the, the desire to click through just to be sure that you didn't, there you go, it is, didn't miss out on anything. <laughs> that fear of missing out back again. It's like it, that drives that behavior. And that's, again, that's what we talked about today with conversion and retention, isn't it? It's like when you link marketing behaviors to what humans' natural behaviours and those that have a strong pull, the results are very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been uh, been fantastic stuff. Really, really interesting. And I'll uh, I'll make sure that I read the full report um, very soon. Actually, probably over this weekend. Um, how can people get in touch? Find out more. Well, personally, I'm always available on LinkedIn. So <laughs> LinkedIn slash IN slash Sterling Ben. Uh, but we're going to, we have the report available. So um, I don't know if you can put the link. So the report's available to everyone. Um, we've got a link for that. It's called the Digital Choice Report. I think it's like weblawty.co.uk uh, forward slash digital choice report. Um, so that's available. Um and so, yeah, please, please download that. Um, check out London Economics. They're fantastic. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so that's probably the best way. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll make sure there's a link on the, uh, on the customers who click website. Fantastic. Cool. All right. Well, cheers, Ben. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Really amazing stuff there. Uh, it's incredible how little nudges and the correct usage or even non-usage of various techniques can not only help improve conversion and retention, but also builds uh, customer engagement and loyalty for a brand. On the conversion side, you've got biases such as loss aversion, priming and anchoring, and the Von Restorff effect, which you'll all know most commonly from subscription price plans. While key biases for retention include social proof, consistency, and personalization. If you want to learn more, feel free to reach out to Ben on LinkedIn, and you'll find the link to their report on this episode's page on customersuclick.com. Uh, please, if you've enjoyed this as much as I have, do rate the podcast and subscribe on the website. And as usual, if you've got any questions, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. I do respond to everyone as quickly as I can. I know I said this last time, but in the next episode of Customers Who Click, I'll be speaking with Pete Dunn of Mad Gorilla Media about sales and copywriting. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>